So you're going to have to work hard to take notes today because I didn't get this one until about 8 o'clock last night, which is fine. Uh, the Lord gets to dictate when he wants to put the message out for publication, and it came a little bit later than the bulletin had to be published, but that's okay. Uh, you'll just have to write fast today. We're going to be in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is towards the end of the Old Testament. If you open up to the middle, most of your Bibles, you'll probably hit Psalms or Proverbs. Just keep going to the right. Zechariah is one of those little prophets that can be hard to find, but I encourage you, if you look hard enough, you'll find it. Uh, if you've got one of the blue Bibles in the pews, it's on page 1478, so you can cheat if you got one of those. If you don't, I can't help you. You're going to have to do that on your own. But I just uh, have been waiting on the Lord literally two weeks uh, to hear what the Lord wanted us to talk about because uh, there's just a lot of things that are kind of moving around Trinity, I think, in this life and in our history. And there's a lot that's going through my heart as a pastor. And so I've really just been trying to sluss through what would the Lord have me just laser focus into when I come into the pulpit on Sundays. And this morning, I just feel like the Lord wants to lay a groundwork for us because we are moving into a new season in our history at Trinity. We've been asking you to pray since January of this year uh, for our elders and for our leadership team as we discern what is the new mission and the new vision of Trinity for the next three to five years. We want to be constantly listening to him. We don't want to rest on what he's done for the last 37 years. There are new people here in 2021, uh, more people than we've ever had of diverse backgrounds, more giftings, more skill. There's new spiritual gifts. There's new staff. There's new everything. And because of that, I believe God wants to do a new thing. But what happens is we have to sit before him and discern what that new thing is, and that takes time. So thank you so much for your patience. We have a new mission. We have a new vision. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll be sharing that with you. But we want to make sure we roll it out in a good, healthy way so you can understand it and so you can get on board with it. So give us a few more weeks to do that well and plot out how to do that well. But I think one of the things that I think the Lord would say to us this morning, just to lay a bedrock for that, is to learn to not despise the day of small things. And that may not make sense to you, but before we're finished today, I hope it makes a lot of sense to you. Every great thing begins with small things. Every great thing begins with small things. But when things become great, we begin to celebrate when things are great, and we forget that they had small beginnings. We forget that companies like Apple and, and Microsoft started in somebody's garage tinkering with new ideas and using skills to put together programs and computers in ways that no one had thought about doing before. But what we see is Apple now, and we see Microsoft now. And even, I think it's appropriate to be thinking about how our country started. Our country started 245 years ago with small things. Small things when a group of men decided that the tyranny of Britain was too much to bear, that they were no longer being represented, that their interests were no longer being respected, and they felt led of the Lord to begin a new dream, a new vision, and were the beneficiaries of that. So I want to remind you of how that went. Congress declared its freedom from Great Britain on July 2nd of 1776 when it approved the resolution by unanimous vote. But after voting on independence, the group needed to draft a document explaining the move to the public. 
So after that draft was proposed by five delegates, it only took two days to agree on the edits. Our Congress can't take two days and agree on anything. But imagine back then, no modern communication. It took two days to agree on the edits before it was approved by Congress on July 4th, 1970, or 1776, 245 years ago today. On July 8th, 1776, Colonel John Nixon read a printed Declaration of Independence to the public for the first time on what is now called Independence Square. And that document was not officially signed by most of the delegates until August 2nd of 1776 when all the delegates, for the most part, were able to be present in Philadelphia to sign. The most famous line of the Declaration of Independence, most of us know this well, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed with their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But unfortunately, at its signing, the Declaration of Independence did not offer that religious freedom and the freedoms espoused there to slaves, women, or Indians. But you know, fortunately... Throughout our history, we've righted those wrongs through amendments and legislations and through our judicial system. And now we're beginning to realize that dream of freedom for all Americans. And as believers in Christ, we should constantly be on the forefront of seeing those freedoms pressed into every American around us. We should be leading people into freedom, especially religious freedom. You see, 245 years ago, this great country that we love and we treasure so much began with small things and we tend to forget the small things when we see the greatness of what is around us i believe that trinity is restarting god's vision and mission for us and i believe we're right in the midst of the day of small things for trinity again even at 37 years old as a church i believe god is turning a new chapter in our history and beginning new things among us and we have to learn how to treasure this time, these days of small things, and not despise them because we believe God is going to do great things into our future off this vision and mission that God's given us. So I want us to go back to the Old Testament, back to Zechariah, because I want us to see how the people of God found themselves in a reset, just like we're seeing ourselves in a reset. Do you remember in the Old Testament where God establishes his people as a nation and they're called the nation of Israel and that goes well for a while but after a period of time they began to rebel against the Lord once they had their land once they had those things at their disposal they began to rebel against the Lord and he began to withhold his blessing from them and at one point they had so dishonored him so walked away from him and worshiping other gods and idols that God actually sent foreign nations into his own country and destroyed his people do you remember that when assyria came and destroyed israel and then 150 years later when babylon came and destroyed judah and when they did the people that they left alive they sent into exile away into a foreign land babylon where they stayed for 70 years in exile but god in his grace raised up persia to defeat the babylonians and Cyrus the Great, under the move of the Holy Spirit, a wicked man, but under the move of the Holy Spirit, allowed the Jews to return to their nation and begin to rebuild. Only the Lord could do that. When you read about 
the pagan brutality of Cyrus the Great, but still allowing these Jews to go back to their land. Only the Lord could do that. So God began to move on this man named Zerubbabel, okay? And he became kind of the governor of the Jewish people, and he rallied the Jews to return to the promised land. And he led them back, about 60,000 at one time. He rallied to go back and begin rebuilding their land again, especially the city of Jerusalem. And God raised up a high priest named Joshua. This isn't Joshua for the book of Joshua. That was like Moses' time. Joshua is just one of those names in the Old Testament that's everywhere. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus is Joshua in the Greek language. I mean, everybody was Joshua back then, okay? But this Joshua is the high priest that God had chosen. So you have Zerubbabel, who is this governor leading the politics of Israel. And then you have Joshua, who is leading the spiritual life of Israel. And God calls them to lead the people to rebuild Jerusalem and Judea again. But when they returned, guess what they found? They found rubble. They found burnt buildings. They found utter destruction. They found farms decimated. They found vineyards ruined. They found what the Babylonians had left for them when they destroyed Jerusalem completely. And you and I both know when you walk into utter desolation that it can be overwhelming. But you know what? They were so encouraged by the things that the Lord had called them to do that they went in with that entrepreneurial spirit. They went in and began to build. And over a course of about six years, they cleaned out the rubble. They started to move things around. And they actually got to the point where they laid a foundation for the temple. But after six years, after that foundation was laid, there was discouragement that came again. It came from two fronts. The first front was this, from the people themselves. There were people who were old enough to remember what Solomon's temple was like. And when they saw the laying of the foundation and how it was nowhere near the size of what Solomon's temple had been, they began to weep because of the work God was doing now. They wanted the work of the past. Never mind that that had led them astray and they had dishonored the Lord and he had healed them and was doing a new thing, they began to weep over the past. And then their enemies around them began to discourage them. And why? Because they didn't want the Jews moving back into that region. They didn't want them to establish Jerusalem again as a powerhouse and as an impenetrable city. They did everything they could to discourage them. And like a lot of leaders do, Zerubbabel lost his passion. He had criticism from the outside. He had criticism from the inside. He began to lose his passion, and so God was gracious. He raised up prophets. One was named Haggai, and you can read his letter. It's right there around this one. And he raises up Zechariah, and he gives them a message to go to Zerubbabel and to go to Joshua and say, listen, you got to get back to work. God has called you to this. I know there's opposition, but you got to get back to work because God is doing something amazing in the rebuilding of this temple, and we have to join him in it. And so we're picking up in Zechariah chapter 3. I want to encourage you this week, since you don't have any going deeper in your notes, I would encourage you this week to go back and read all of Zechariah chapter 1 and chapter 2 because Zechariah received God's revelation like this. An angel would appear to Zechariah 
and would speak to him about what God was doing and would give him revelation. And then he would speak that message to Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people. And we're picking up in chapter 3. We don't have time to read 1 and 2 as well. But we are going to read 3 and 4. So I want to encourage you, follow along as I read and listen to what the angel is saying to Joshua and to Zerubbabel through Zechariah. Beginning in verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. And then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him. And while the angel of the Lord stood by, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. And listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come, I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Would you take your pen and just underline that? Because something is happening that's bigger than the rebuilding of the temple. Something is happening in this prophecy that's bigger than the restoration of Joshua. Now, Zechariah is beginning to prophesy about God sending the branch. And we know, as New Testament people looking back, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the coming of Jesus into the world. Verse 9. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Another prophecy to the work of Jesus. Where Jesus, God himself, hung on a cross, shed his blood, and in one day covered the sins of God's people for all time. One day finished the work that for thousands of years could not be completed. Is that not amazing? Being prophesied in this time of desolation. Verse 10, In that day each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. We don't really understand that, but if you're an agricultural person and everything around you has been decimated, you know how long it takes to regrow grapevines and you know how long it takes to regrow fig trees and what this promises is one day i will return the prosperity of this land it's not going to be tomorrow but it's coming you can trust me the prosperity is coming wait on it it's coming now to chapter four then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep and he asked me what do you see and I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it. 
with seven channels to the lamps. And also there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. And I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So chapter 3, there's the word for Joshua to restore the spiritual leadership of Israel. Now there is the word to Zerubbabel to reestablish the political leadership of Israel. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And some of you need to underline that verse too because you've tried your power and it's just not working out. Maybe it's time to try the power of the Lord instead. Maybe it's time. Verse 7, What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And you have to get this. He's talking about Mount Moriah. He's talking about the mountain that Jerusalem was built on top of that's now covered with rubble, that when you walk up and you look, you're discouraged about what's happening when you see all the rubble. But the Lord promises, by the hand of Zerubbabel, all of this will be cleared away. This mountain will not stand in his way. He'll reestablish what God wants to do on this mountain. There's this promise that there will be rebirth and rebuilding again. Then he will bring out the capstone to the shouts, God bless it, God bless it. And then the word of the Lord came to me. The hand of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it. Imagine this promise. Zerubbabel spends six years laying the foundation, and now he's discouraged, and he's got enemies outside, and he's got critics within. He's discouraged. He doesn't want to keep working. Listen to this promise that's now been made to him by God. You're the one who laid the cornerstone, and you're going to be the one who lays the capstone. That's a promise that I'm going to finish what I'm doing in you. Don't you quit. I'm going to finish what I started because it's not about you. It's about me and my work and my people. You're just the instrument in my hand. What an amazing promise to promise a leader. You started it, and I'll let you finish it. Verse 10, and please underline this. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. That's the question that we have to ask ourselves as a church now. Who dares to despise the day of small things? In other words, are we going to be so caught up in wanting the great things from God that we will not be faithful and tend the small things that must come first. Not just as a church. Hear me, people of God. God has great work to do in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. But great works start with small works. And the reason many times great works don't come into our lives is because we will not be faithful with small works. We tend to despise the day of small things. And so we do not see the day of great things. I'm challenging you as your pastor. I'm calling us back from that today. Today we begin to treasure the small things. You know, we just had 
a stage full of chaos just a few minutes ago. And at least 40% of that chaos came from me, so I totally get it. But you know what this was on this stage with all this chaos? This was the day of small things. Because these small lives, dancing up here without any concern about any one of you, are the people that will sit in those pews in 10 years, in 20 years, and will lead this church when we are gone. And they will love it and they will treasure it because we made room for them here. You know how many churches would despise what happened this morning? Would say that is unorderly, that is not okay for the worship service? Children should be in their own children's church or whatever. Don't get distracted. Stay with me. Don't get distracted. Some churches would say that's what children's church is for. That's what youth group is for. Here's what we say. If God wants to use our children, let them lead us into worship. God wants to use our young person on a drum or on a guitar, and they do a great job with it. We say let them lead. We refuse to despise the day of small things because we believe what God can do down the road through small things. So I just want to challenge us as followers of Christ why we have to refuse to despise small things. There's a lot that rides on it. So get ready to write fast. You ready to go? Number one, when we despise the day of small things, it's because we lack revelation. We despise the day of small things when we lack revelation. We don't need more knowledge in our culture right now. You have more access to knowledge than any human generation that's ever lived. You can click on the internet and you can learn just about anything you want to learn. I mean, we have things at our fingertips that historians for years have never had. We live in a blessed age. But it's not moving us to a better society. It's moving us away from that. And here's why. We don't need more knowledge. We need revelation. We need revelation. What's the difference, Pastor Matt? Is that just a big church word? Well, it is a church word because it comes out of Scripture and we use it in church a lot. But revelation is when God takes something that is hidden and he uncovers it. He takes knowledge that has not been known and he takes the responsibility to make it known. Revelation is knowledge that you can't learn and you can't earn unless God says, I want to show it to you. And you can only wait for his timing. Revelation is when God shows truth about himself and about you that can dramatically change things. And the reason that we have to wait for it is because God's knowledge through revelation can change things in minutes that our knowledge can't change in a hundred years. Revelation can change things in minutes that your knowledge can't change in a hundred years. I didn't, I guess you didn't hear me. But do we believe that? As followers of Christ, we got to believe that. God's revelation to us can change things in minutes that your knowledge can't change in a hundred years. That's better. Because if we don't believe it, guess what we're going to do? You're going to keep going after your knowledge and not revelation. I don't need to know more about politics and education and finances. I need to know more about truth. And when God reveals truth. Guess what it does? It changes politics and finances and education because truth is truth. 
And you can either break yourself on it or you can be broken by it. But truth is truth. It's a wall that doesn't shake. No matter how we redefine it now. We don't need more knowledge. We need revelation. And when we despise the day of small things is when we don't have revelation. For some of us, we can't see what God has begun among us because we're trying to figure it up out here instead of letting God show us in here. Second thing is this. When we despise the day of small things, we listen to the accusations of the enemy. We listen to the accusations of the enemy. Chapter 3 of Zechariah is so intriguing to me. It's this vision of Joshua the high priest standing, and on one side is Satan himself, and on the other side it says it is the angel of the Lord. And Satan is accusing Joshua. And Joshua is dressed in filthy clothes, which is obviously, obviously a a reference to his sin and his impurity before the Lord. But most theologians would say, this isn't really about Joshua. This is about what Joshua represents, Israel. Israel that had defied the Lord for hundreds of years, had been punished, had been taken out into exile. And now that God is bringing them back, He wants to say to them, I know what you did, but I have poured out forgiveness on you. But do you understand what's happening here? Just when God begins to speak truth and blessing and forgiveness into the life of Joshua the high priest, who is right there beside him? Satan is right there beside him. And what is he doing? While God is speaking truth, what is Satan doing? He is accusing Joshua. He's accusing him. By the way, guess what Satan means? It means accuser. I mean, that's his name. That's his job. He takes the people of God and he tells you everything that you've ever done. He throws it back up in your face and he said, God can't use you anymore. And Jesus stands right there. And by the way, it's Jesus. Well, I thought it said the angel of the Lord. Here's a good study for you. Go look in the Old Testament every time the angel of the Lord shows up. Go look in the Old Testament and here's what you find. Scripture will say things like this. The angel of the Lord appeared, and all of a sudden people say things like this. I have seen God, and I have lived. Now, wait a minute. I thought it was an angel. As you study, here's what you'll find. When you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus in the flesh, showing up and ministering to God's people. So it's not just any angel. This is Jesus standing right beside Joshua the high priest. And when the enemy is accusing, here's what Jesus says. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. This man is a stick, a burning stick, snatched out of the fire. Has there been damage from his disobedience? Absolutely. But I am snatching it before it is complete, before he is destroyed. I am pulling him out of the fire. I want you to take off his filthy clothes, and I want you to put clean clothes on him. What does that symbolize? I am forgiving his sin. I'm giving him a new start. My people are starting over. That's what Jesus does. When the accuser comes, Jesus rebukes the accuser. But when we despise the day of small things we listen to the accuser when we see what god is beginning and we're discouraged we listen to what the enemy says listen he'll say things like this i know you've never heard this but i have your marriage will never change i mean i'm glad that you're finally getting serious about this jesus stuff but listen uh your marriage is never going to change this this is just a phase 
or when you finally start to get freedom from things like alcohol, the enemy comes to you and he whispers, this is just a matter of time before you fall back down again. Or when you finally see reconciliation, you see the lights start to go on between you and your children, and things start to get rebuilt. The enemy comes to you and he says, listen, they're going to turn on you again. It's just a matter of time. And he begins to lie to you about the past and what's happened before. And Jesus says, no, I rebuke you, Satan, because I'm doing new things in my people. And just like he laid a physical foundation in Jerusalem, he wants to lay a spiritual foundation in your life. And I believe if you depend on the Spirit and not your power, not only will He help you lay the new spiritual foundation in your life, you'll also see the capstone laid too. It may take years, but He will finish building you up until you are a temple where He dwells and people come into His presence through your life. That's what He wants for you. Don't you let the enemy lie to you. He's been lying from the beginning. And he likes to lie because he can't do anything about your salvation. It's already sealed by Jesus. So the best he can do is make you ineffective. Don't you dare let him keep you on the sidelines. Don't you do it. There's too much at stake. When we despise the day of small things, it's when we lean on our strength rather than the Spirit's. It's when we lean on our strength rather than the Spirit of God. Not only can revelation change things in minutes that our strength can't change in years, the Holy Spirit is the power by which it happens. I've met men and women in this church who have been radically changed in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not the same. They're not the same. There's no book that they read. There's no counselor that they went to. There was no 12-step program. I'm just telling you, they're not the same. They may not be who they want to be, but they are not who they were because the Holy Spirit has changed them. And the proof of change is His power, not their power. And the proof of change means you can continue to change. Not your strength, but the Spirit of God. That's what He had to speak to Zerubbabel. He said, listen, here's why you're discouraged. After six years, I think He tried to lay that foundation in the momentum of the people. The joy of them coming back to the promised land. The strength of being this leader that people followed. And it all fell apart, didn't it? Until God comes and he says, listen, do you want to try this by my spirit? If you'll try this by my spirit, I promise you'll lay the capstone one day. You'll lay the capstone. Number four, when we despise the day of small things, we focus on the foundation and not yet have seen the capstone. Here's what happens. When we do not treasure the beginning of things, all we can focus on is the beginning. All we can see is how things are going right now. How's my walk with the Lord right now? How, how's the behavior of my children right now? How's the state of my marriage right now? How's my business starting out right now? How's my, how's my mental state right now? We, just, we focus on now. We focus on now. If I'm focused on now, I can't see anything out there. I can't see anything out there when we begin to despise the beginning of things, we focus in on them. But when we lift our eyes to the end of things, and we begin to catch a vision of what can happen, then we have patience for what things are starting out with. Um, I, we, I'm not rolling out our mission yet and our vision yet, but let me just give you a little preview. You like movie previews, don't you? Here's a little preview. Our mission from this point on, is going to be centered on one idea, just one idea. 
making disciple makers. Making disciple makers. Jesus calls every single one of us to be a disciple, to go and make disciples, to be baptized and to obey everything that Jesus has told us. Remember that from Matthew 28, 18 to 20? Go and make disciples. But not just make disciples, but make people who can also make disciples. Learn how to handcraft disciples who can reproduce themselves spiritually and can make more disciples and more disciples and more disciples. That is a small thing when it begins, but it's a beginning right now. There are men and women in this church who are working hard to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ who can learn to make other disciples. It is a small thing that is beginning right here, but I want to tell you, it is going to multiply, baby. It's going to multiply. You know why? Because Jesus commanded us to do it. And if we go do what he commanded us to do with his resources, it can't help but multiply. I want to catch a vision for you. If just 10 of us become disciple makers over the course of this year, in five years, the population of disciple makers in our church will exceed what is in this room right now. It will exceed it if we take time and we learn and grow. And I want to say something to you. The new mission of this church is not focused on Trinity. If that breaks your heart, I just want you to know that's where we're headed. It's bigger than Trinity. It has to be bigger than Trinity. Here's an interesting study for you. Go look up in modern history where all of the churches are that Paul started. Like you can go and look. Ephesus, Corinth, Galatia. Go, go look at where those churches are now. Unless I'm mistaken, guess what you're going to find? Not one of those churches still exists. Not one. In fact, that part of the world is one of the most unchurched populations on the face of the planet. So the place where churches were born in early Christianity has a very small Christian presence. But do you know what has outlasted all of those churches? You know what's outlasted all of those churches? Disciples like you and me. You know why? Because Paul was not about building a church. He was about making disciple makers. And when you make disciple makers, they make more disciples who make more disciples who make more down to you and me. I pray that Trinity hangs around until the day Jesus comes back. But if it doesn't listen to me, it's okay. As long as we have made disciples. As long as we have made disciples. You know what I want? I want my ancestors and your ancestors 245 years from now talking about our faithfulness in small things, making disciples, and how it has changed not just the spiritual climate of America, but changed America itself, that they'll look back on what started in 2021 like we look back on what our ancestors started in 1776, and they'll be praising God for that, not because we're this geopolitical power, but because we're a spiritual powerhouse again that is transforming people. Don't you want that? I want that. And if they forget my name and your name and the name of Trinity, it's going to be okay. As long as they never forget the name of Jesus. You know why we're having a hard time making disciples in our American culture right now? Because we want the name of our church to be attached to it. Who cares? Who cares? If people are following Jesus, if people are getting saved and following Jesus, 
Now, here's the real trick. If we make disciples, there's no way this church isn't going to grow. I mean, there's no way. Because new believers are going to follow people who disciple them. And you, you come here. They're going to follow you. It's not about us. It's about what Jesus wants to do. So number five. We despise the day of small things when we do not have a vision that can outlast us. I want a vision beyond us. And I really feel like this vision and mission is bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than Trinity. I really believe it's going to outlast us. That's why I'm excited about it. I believe it's going to outlast us. One last verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I think you've probably heard this before, but let me just speak it over you. Paul said this to the Philippians who aren't around anymore, but their heritage is. He said this, being confident of this. In other words, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me speak back to the Old Testament for you. Don't despise the day of small things. Because when we treasure small things, they grow into big things. So I just want to speak to you as your pastor, and I'm probably off camera now. I'm so sorry about that, but you'll get over it. You can still hear me. I was, I was thinking about your family. I was praying for you this week, Lada and Daniel. I was thinking, you know, you have things going on in your family. There's small things right now. But don't despise what's happening right now. Because God wants to build great things through you. And part of that is the difficulty you're going through right now. I know you're, you're trying to get permission to study right now. You're trying to get permission to stay here. Listen, that's a day of small things. Don't underestimate what God can do through that. Don't underestimate what he can do through that. Sabdiel, you are a great youth minister, but listen, this is a day of small things for you. God has so much more for you than this. Don't despise this. I love how you treasure this. I love how you treasure this. I believe God for so many more amazing things beyond this. But praise God you're here and you can stay here until my kid graduates. Chris, I've been praying for you too. And I know that right now it is hard to look at what's happening today and not despise it. But I want to say something to you. God has great things to build out of this family and out of you. Don't despise today. God has great things for you out of this. Beverly, I know you guys are fighting for your family. I know you're fighting for your heritage. I know you're believing the Lord for great things. Don't despise this day. This is the things that God builds on for you. These are the things. You know, I've been praying this. Sarah McSwain's not here. I don't think Sarah's not here. Sarah, if you listen to this, I've been praying for you because I know you've been fighting for your family. And I'm telling you, don't despise today. Don't despise today. Because it's what the Lord builds great things on. Trent was praying for you this week. I know you're fighting with your family. I know you're fighting for your family right now. And I know that right now it's easy to give up. I know it's easy to be discouraged, but listen to me. God wants to make great things for your family, and this is part of it. It's part of it today. What you're dealing with today, don't despise the day of small things. Don't do that. I had lunch with three amazing teenagers yesterday. For Guy and Taylor 
and Caleb. And you know what? I just walked out. I just walked out so encouraged at what God is doing in our young people at Trinity. I'm so encouraged. And I want to say something to you. This is, this is small things right now. Where's Taylor at? But this is, these are small things right now. But you've got to honor the small things because they become big things. When you treasure the small things, they become big things. And gardeners, I've been praying for your whole clan for a long time. And the thing I love about your clan is this. You are bound and determined. You are bound and determined to do whatever it takes to see this clan become a godly generation that grows up to do God's work. And I know you fight. I know it's hard, but I'm telling you, don't despise today. Don't despise today. One of the best gifts I ever got was this right here. And it doesn't look like much, but just hang on. One of my best friends, his name is Barry Ledbetter, and I hope you're watching right now, Barry. In 2009, he made this for me. He's a potter as a hobby, and he sent this to me in the mail. And it probably doesn't mean anything to you. I'm going to turn it upside down so maybe it helps. It's an acorn. It's an acorn. And he inscribed something on it. He inscribed this quote from Theodore Cooler, who I've never heard from, 1846. Listen to this quote. Often the most useful Christians are those who serve their master in little things. He never despises the day of small things, or else he would not hide his oaks in the acorn. Nor would he hide the wealth of the wheat field in a bag of little seeds. And guess what scripture he inscribed on this? Zechariah 4.10. And he gave this back to me in 2009 when I was just becoming a pastor. And I'd have a clue what I'm doing. Not like I know what I'm doing now, but I really didn't have a clue back then. And this sits on my desk to remind me that oak trees come from acorns. And that great things come from small things. And you can't despise the acorn or you will never see the oak tree. So, uh, just to kick off our vision season, I'm going to leave this right here. And I just want it to stay right here on this table. Because when we come in here, I want us to be reminded that this new vision and mission that God's given us is just an acorn right now. If you were looking for something grand to start out, I, I hate to disappoint you. We're starting small. But one day, it's going to be an oak tree. And there are going to be people that are going to be nourished out of it. There are people who are going to be shaded out of it. There are going to be people who build things out of its resources way beyond us. And it starts with you and me. So one of the foundations that we have to leave and we have to lay if we want to see God change where we are into what he has for us is the foundation of salvation. God has sealed everything we need in the blood of Jesus. And he offers it to us today. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and me. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He loves you. And his blood is sufficient for anything you've ever done. Your past, no matter how broken it is, his blood is sufficient for you. And for all of us who believe that to be true, who act on it, as if God himself said it to be true and we place our faith in him, 
he will forgive your past and he will lay a new foundation that he wants to build into a temple where he dwells. You can hit the reset button today. The reset button on your marriage, the reset button on your addiction, the reset button on your past. You can reset it today. It's up to you. Praise team is going to come and they're going to lead us in the last song and we're going to worship. This is a chance for you to respond to what you've heard today. Our elders and their wives will be around the sanctuary. You can go and speak with them. If you need to talk about salvation, they can lead you in salvation. If you need to speak to me, I'm here. If you need to come to the altar, it's open. But do business with the Lord. Don't despise the day of small things.